Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to the book of Joshua chapter 1. By now you probably know we're in a series called 66, where we're walking through the books of the Bible one sermon per book at a time. We have looked at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When we left Deuteronomy, the children of Israel were uh, about to cross the Jordan River to go into the land of Canaan, a land they had long waited to uh, go in and possess. And so Joshua is all about that taking possession of the land of Canaan. This is a message entitled Lessons of Warfare, because the book of Joshua is a book of war. We're going to read from Joshua chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, and read down through verse 7. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses was giving his farewell address to the nation of Israel. He was 120 years old. He would not be going with the Israelites across the Jordan and into Canaan, and they were on the eastern banks of the Jordan River, and they knew their time with Moses was uh, very short. But they were concerned. He was the only leader they had ever known. And so they thought, who's going to lead us? What are we going to do without you? And so God inspired Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. Said this in verse 15, says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So God promised the Israelites that he would raise up a prophet like Moses, a leader like Moses, that they didn't have to worry about not having adequate leadership. God would provide for them. Now, in the short term, that prophet that God would raise up was Joshua, the son of Nun. Joshua was uh, an, a, a, an apprentice of Moses. He, he, he was taught by Moses. He was trained by Moses. And so Joshua, in the short term, is the prophet that God would raise up. Now, in Hebrew, 
The name Joshua is pronounced Yahshua. All right? Yahshua. So in the short term, the prophet God would raise up is Joshua. But in the distant future, and more important, the prophet that God promised to raise up, that the people must listen to, was Jesus. In the New Testament, with the advent of Jesus, it's even, the gospel writers even declare that Jesus is the prophet that Moses referred to. Now, the interesting thing about Joshua being the short-term fulfillment of that prophecy and Jesus being the long-term fulfillment is that the Hebrew pronunciation of Joshua is Yahshua and the Hebrew pronunciation of Jesus is Yahshua. You pronounce them both the same way. And so here we are, this first Yahshua, Joshua, is Uh, now leading the children of Israel. And as I already said, the end of Deuteronomy finds the children of Israel on the eastern banks of the uh, Jordan River. Moses by now is dead. And his mantle passes on to Joshua, who will lead the nation into Canaan or the uh, promised land. Now, the book of Joshua describes the partial conquest of the land of Canaan. All this time, from 40 years ago when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, their whole ambition was to take possession of the land of Canaan. That was the land that God had promised uh, his people, Israel. And so the book of Joshua describes that crossing over into Jordan, and then the conquering of the land of Canaan. So as you might imagine, the whole book of Joshua is a book about a war. It is a book of war. It is a book that describes the war between the Israelite nation and all of the Canaanite nations as God led the Israelites to take possession of the land. Now, if you've ever talked with someone who's been to war, uh, they can tell you not only their experiences, but they can also tell you some lessons that they hope we learn from wars. Our nation has been in a lot of wars, and we have taken what we've experienced from some of our wars, and we have learned some of the lessons. We learned some of the lessons of World War II, and we've applied them to other uh, conflicts that we've been a part of. There are other wars that we should have learned some lessons to that we didn't, and we have, uh, as a consequence, repeated some of the past mistakes of those wars. But the point is that in any war, there is uh, not only the, the fighting of a battle, but there are lessons to be learned. And so I want us to look at a cross-section of the book of Joshua, this book of war, and I want us to glean from these verses some lessons of warfare. You say, well, why do we need to learn lessons of warfare? We don't plan to go to war. We hope we'll never go to war. Here's the deal. Every person in this room right now is, is in the middle of some kind of battle. 
All of us are in a battle with evil, but each of us, in addition, is in our own battle. For some of you, it's a marital struggle. For some of you, it is a, 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 a battle at your job. For some of you, it's an internal battle. For some of you, it's a battle with your children. For some of you, it's a, a, a battle with, with uh, other people. Uh, For some of us, it's a battle with God, but we're all in some kind of personal battle. And the lessons that we can learn from this book of war, a major battle, can also apply to the individual and personal battles that you and I face in life. So let's get right to it. The first lesson we learn is one that you've heard so many times before, but it it will do to repeat again. And it's this, if you plan, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Now, Joshua was new to being a commander, but he was not new to being a trained soldier. Moses had trained him for over 40 years to lead the people into Canaan. So Joshua was well-trained, he was well-equipped, and being well-equipped, he was a man who knew that to go into Canaan without a plan was to plan to fail. And so he had a very simple yet ingenious plan uh, to conquer the nation. And I want to show you what that plan was. If you look at a map, they cross over the Jordan River and the first thing they do is they take the central territory in the land of Canaan. They divide the, 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 uh, the, the land of Canaan into north and south. They invade the central territory of the, the area and which was, which was really ingenious because by doing so, they split the land of Canaan in two. Now, the stronger uh, force of people militarily would be in the southern part of the, of the uh, nation. The less strong people would be up in the northern part, but they split the land into, did the central territory, then they moved to the southern territory and defeated the more uh, powerful military people. And then finally, they went up to the weaker part of the land and invaded the northern part of the land. So the plan was split the area in two, then take the south, and then take the north. Joshua had a plan, and he stuck with that plan. He carried out that plan. It was a plan that was divinely given to him. Now, what does that have to do with us? When you and I face battles in our own lives, we need to have a battle plan. We need to have, we need to have some idea of what am I going to do in the short term in, my, in this crisis that I'm facing, and what do I hope to accomplish in the long term? Because you see, if we fail to plan, we are in essence planning to fail. You and I will plan. You say, well, I'm just, I'm just going to take this battle as it comes, and I'm not going to plan anything. Then you have planned to fail. You see, we can't get, we can't get around the decision to plan. We'll either plan to win or if we have no plan, we will plan to fail. So if you fail to plan, you plan to fail is the first lesson from uh, this war in Joshua. The second lesson is this, repeating past mistakes will reap past results. Re- repeating past mistakes will reap past results. You see, you and I need to be aware of our history. And we need to be aware of the mistakes that have been committed 
in the past so that we will not repeat those mistakes in the present. Now, what, what were some of the mistakes the Israelites uh, committed in their past? Well, if you go back uh, to, they, they, they had come out of Egypt, they'd crossed the Red Sea, they'd been in Egypt for uh, less than two years. When Moses took them down to Mount Sinai, he went up on a mountain, God gave him the Ten Commandments. Well, he's up there 40 days and 40 nights. He comes back down from the mountain, and what does he find the children of Israel doing? They have decided that they want to change gods. And so they go to Moses' brother Aaron. They said, Aaron, let's, we don't know where this man Moses is. We don't know what God is doing. We need a God, and let's make us one. And so they took all their jewelry, their, their precious metals, they threw them into a cauldron, they melted them, and they fashioned and formed this golden calf of all things. And they start worshiping it. That was a tragic mistake. The worship of an idol god made up of their own uh, expensive treasures, their own possessions. It was like uh, being an idol of our possessions that they had accumulated and combined together. Moses was so angry, he threw the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments down, uh, down the, to the ground against that, uh, he threw them at that, that idol god that they had made, this false god. He was so angry. Sometime later, they go up to a place called Kadesh Barnea, and God says to Moses, I want you to set up a committee of 12, y'all go up in the land and spy it out. And he, he was not telling them to go up in the land to spy it out to see whether they could take it. God had already given it to them. They would take it. But the group of spies go up in the land. They spend 40 days there. And they get a wrong idea of what they're supposed to be doing, at least the majority of them. They go up there and they're looking around to see whether they could take the land. And 10 of the 12 committee members decided that we can't take it. We can't do it. God's not, God's not big enough to help us beat the giants that we found up in the land of Canaan. So they come back after 40 days, and by a 10 to 2 vote, they uh, lead the children of Israel to say, we're not going. And it made God angry. In fact, he was so angry that God said to Moses, he said, look, uh, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to destroy all these people in one fell swoop. And Moses, you remember, got on his face and he began to cry out to God on behalf of the people. And he says, look, God, if you destroy these people, what will the other nations think? They're going to think, oh, Israel's God couldn't uh, bring them through the wilderness into the land that he promised. Israel's God's not big enough to help them. Uh, he, he must be a failure. And, and so Moses, Moses says, God, by your own name, for the, for, the, for the reason of your own name, don't destroy these people. And in response to Moses' prayer, God said, okay, I won't destroy them here and now, but these people will not go into the promised land. Not a one of them. And they didn't. It was a huge, huge mistake. It was a mistake, a, set, a series of mistakes that, that they should have learned at least heard about and learned, and then not repeated. So what happens when they get over into the land of Canaan? Well, there is a, a, a battle in, in chapters 6 and 7 where the Israelites go into the land, uh, to the city of Jericho. Everybody's heard of the battle of Jericho. The Israelites marched around Jericho one time a day for six days. On the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. 
And at the seventh time, they all blew trumpets. And the Bible says that God destroyed the walls that surrounded Jericho. So this once fortified city became an unfortified city. And when the walls were gone, the Israelites went into Jericho and they destroyed everything except for, except for a woman named Rahab and her family who had harbored two Israeli spies. Now, before the they went into Jericho, God gave some instructions. He says, when you go into Jericho, you're going to find some treasures there. No one is to keep any of the treasures of Jericho. They all belong to the Lord. Now, this is very interesting because in uh, later battles, God would tell them, all the treasures you find, you can keep. In every other battle, all the treasures you find, you can keep. But in Jericho, he said, you are to give all the treasures to God. That's the first battle they fought. And the first fruits, the first treasures, the, the first of their possessions that they had earned, they had won, were to come to God. It's a, it's a great lesson for us about tithing and about giving God our first fruits of our uh, incomes and our energies. But there was a man named Achan. And Achan uh, found a very expensive coat, a fashion designer coat for his age. And he thought, my wife would really look good in that fashion coat. And then he found uh, some gold and silver. And he decided, man, if I had this coat and I had this gold and silver, I could retire and and I, I would be set for life. But God had already instructed them, you're not to take any of that. But Achan said, man, I could be set for life. Nobody's going to miss this. Who else would want this coat? Nobody but my wife. Who else would want this gold and silver? God can certainly do without this. And so he got the, the coat and the gold and silver. He went to his tent, nobody watching, and he buried everything in the ground under his tent. And he thought, I'll come back later and I'll get it. And so they defeat Jericho. Next in line is the little town of Ai. It's a small speck of a town. We would say if we had a town like Ai today, we'd say, we'd say it's such a small town that uh, they might have one traffic light and, and if, if you blink your eye, you're going to miss the town when you drive through it. It was really small. And the Israelites says we don't need to send the whole army there. It's a small town. They just have a small militia. And so they just sent a, a fraction of their army into Ai and the small militia at Ai routed the Israelite army that tried to invade them. And Joshua got on his face before God, and he says, God, what, what, what in the world? What am I supposed to do? And, and this is one of the few times in Scripture that God ever told someone to stop praying. Joshua is praying, and God says, you need to stop praying. You need to get up. Somebody disobeyed me. Somebody kept back part of the treasures of Jericho. And so they start looking around and they do an investigation and the investigation leads them to Achan. They bring Achan out and Joshua says, Achan, tell me what you did. Tell me what you did. I know you did it. Tell me what you did. And so Achan, probably thinking that if he confesses to this sin, 
that they will spare his life. He says, well, he says, yes, I found this coat and it really, I thought it really looked good on my wife and, and I found this gold and silver and I thought it wouldn't hurt for me to have that. And so I, I, I buried it in my tent. And Joshua sent some guys to his uh, tent, Aiken's tent, said, dig him up and let's see if he's telling the truth. They go over there, they find the coat, they find the silver, they find the gold, they bring it back and uh, Aiken is caught red-handed. And um, as a result, Achan and his family are stoned to death by the people of Israel. It's a tragic story. What was Achan's mistake, his tragic mistake? His tragic mistake was that he either forgot past mistakes the Israelites had made or he remembered them, but he ignored them. And you see what happens, what happened with Achan is the same thing that happens with us, is it's simply this. If we repeat past mistakes, we will reap past results. Lesson number three. Now hold on to this one, lesson number three. Every battle begins before it starts. Every battle begins before it starts. Long before the Israelites entered Canaan, God had been spreading the word in Canaan about what he had done through the Israelites during those 40 years that they were in the desert of Arabia. For decades, the people of Jericho, for instance, had heard about what God had done. I'm talking about 30 more, 30 and more years before they, the Israelites ever even were in the vicinity of Jericho, God was spreading the word about what he had done for the Israelites. And so watch this in, in Joshua chapter two, beginning in, in the middle of verse eight, when, when the Israelites get to Jericho, before they invade Jericho, Joshua sends two spies into Jericho to spy out the city. And there was a lady, a prostitute, who harbored these two spies. And here's what Rahab said to them in, uh, in Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Now, how'd she find that out? Because God had been spreading the word before the battle ever started. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. How long ago did that happen? 40 years ago. We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, we, the people of Jericho, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Before the Israelites ever fired a shot, God had already begun the battle, laying the groundwork, cultivating the foundation, and he had been doing it 
for at least 40 years. Now, what does that have to do with you and me? Whenever you and I face battles in our lives, a lot of times we get blown over. A lot of times we just get overwhelmed. A lot of times uh, the worry and the, uh, the, the burden that we have to bear in our crisis, it, 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 it gets so hard that we feel like we're alone. We're feel, we feel like we're abandoned. We feel like that we have no friend. But let me tell you, let me tell you what God has done in your battle. In every personal battle that you fight, God has done and is doing the same thing that he did for the Israelites. He goes ahead and he lays the foundation. Why does he do it? Because he knows you're going to go through this battle. He wants to help you win this battle, which means his ambition is that you persevere and that you win this battle that you're facing in your life. God is for us. He's never against us. We need to know that we're not alone in the battles we face in life. Whatever you have gone through, whatever you are going through, God is with you and he he was working ahead of time to help you. Every battle begins before it starts. Number four, winning a single battle does not mean that you've won the war. Winning a single battle does not mean you've won the war. In Joshua chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. They just invaded Jericho. Ai is next which is near Beth Haven to the east of Bethel, told them, go up, spy the region. So the men went up, spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said this. They said, not all the army will have to go. We don't need everybody to go. This is a small town, one traffic light town, two horse town. Blink when you go through, you're going to miss it. All they have is a small militia. The whole army doesn't need to go. Look at what we did to Jericho. Actually, God did Jericho. But they said, look what we did to Jericho. We can take Ai. So they sent a small fragment of their army into Ai. And the small militia at Ai, as I said before, routed the Israelite army. Killed 36 of the men that uh, ran away from them. And then they chased them. What was the problem at Ai? Well, we know what happened with Achan. Because of Achan's robbing the treasury at Jericho, he brought defeat on the Israelites at Ai. But there was also another reason. The reason was that the Israelites after Jericho thought that they were unbeatable. They thought they could not be extinguished. Their elation after the victory at Jericho. And and let me just say, they needed to be elated. They needed to celebrate. There are times to celebrate. But their elation turned into arrogance. And in their arrogance, they thought they had won Jericho. And what they did to Jericho, they could do everywhere else because after all, they had already won the battle. The problem is, just because they had won a single battle at Jericho didn't mean that they had won the whole war in Canaan. 
And so they had a decisive defeat in the first battle of Ai. Which leads me to lesson number five. Lesson number four was winning a single battle does not mean you've won the war. Lesson five is losing a single battle does not mean that you've lost the war, nor does it mean that you should give up the fight. Have you ever failed at anything? Have you ever sought something, set a goal to accomplish something, and and you didn't make it? The Israelites did. At first, they thought, that in their arrogance, they thought, what we did at Jericho, we're going to do everywhere. Then they go to Ai, and they get beat by this little ragtag militia in this two-horse town. And after that, they thought they just lost the whole world, whole war. Joshua chapter 7, verses 2 through 5 and 8. You'll see it on the screen. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. And told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up, spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it. Don't worry the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. And then, to make uh, embarrassment even worse... They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people, the Israelite people, melted in fear and became like water. And then Joshua 7, verse 8, Joshua saying, Joshua talking to God, he says, pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies. They thought they were done. After Jericho, they thought they were untouchable. After Ai, they thought they were done. They thought they were pure out failures. Let me tell you, uh, I can speak from experience that you will fail in life. There will be things that you will not accomplish that you wanted to accomplish. There'll be other things you will accomplish and you'll succeed because God will give you victory, but he will allow failure in your life in part to keep you humble because our natural human instinct goes against humility and toward arrogance. And so he will allow you to fail. And when you fail, there will be times when you think you're done. You're ready to hang it up. You'll even tell God, God, I'm done. This this is not what I bargained for. This is not what I signed up for. I'm done. And God will say, it's just AI. It was just AI. Look at what you did, what I helped you do in Jericho. You can do that again, but you need to realize you got to depend on me. And by the way, with regard to winning a battle, not necessarily meaning win the war, you may have a battle with somebody else, not a war, but a battle. And in that battle, you get angry with them and you can tell them off in a heartbeat with using some choice Sunday school words that you learned in Baptist church. And you can win that battle. And as a result, you can lose the war. 
Occasionally, I'll have some young ministers who are young pastors. They'll come to me and they'll say, this is happening in my church. I don't know how to handle it. What, what do you suggest? And I'd say, well, the first thing I need to tell you is that when I've handled similar things in the past, I failed at it. So, but let me tell you what I would do if I had it to go over again. And I would say to them, if you're in a conflict with someone, sometimes the best thing to do is let them, let them win this battle. And they say, well, I don't like losing a battle. Neither do I. But sometimes you have to lose a battle in order to win a war. Sometimes you have to show humility in one instance in order to have victory in the end result. Winning a single battle doesn't mean you've won the war. Losing a single battle doesn't mean you've lost the war, nor that you should give up the fight. And then finally, number six, sometimes in life, hard choices must be made. The most remembered verse in the book of Joshua is chapter 24, verse 15. You'll, you'll recognize it when I read it. It's part of Joshua's farewell address at the end of the book. He gives them a challenge. And I read this to give you a challenge. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day, not tomorrow, this day. It's urgent. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. There are some major decisions in life from which you cannot not make a decision. There are times when you and I will face a situation where a decision must be made and we will not be able to get around it. When I was eight years old, even though I had been raised in church all my first eight years and nine months for that matter, and was a preacher's kid, I realized that I was lost without a savior. It was really a rude awakening for me. I mean, you know, I thought, hey, I'm a preacher's kid, I'm all right. Or I thought, hey, I've got Sunday school. Back then, they'd give us Sunday school pins in Baptist churches for uh, consecutive days in Sunday school. Nobody would be wearing those today much. But, you, you know, you could, you could get them. They'd go all the way down to your ankles and back if you wanted to. And I had them, brother, because I'm the preacher's kid. You just had to go. And I thought, man, I, uh, maybe the fact that I've always been in church in Sunday school, no. I came to realize that. All that didn't matter if I didn't make the hard decision to invite Christ into my life. 
That was a decision I could not avoid. Guess what? That's a decision none of us can avoid. And you say, well, uh, I can avoid it. I'm just not going to decide. (laughs) The very moment that you decided not to decide, you decided. Most important decision any of us can make is what to do with Jesus. For our eternal salvation. There are some decisions that must be made. That's one of them. It's not the only one of them, but it is one of them. So that's Joshua's final charge. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And right after that, right after verse 15, the people say, oh, far be it from us to turn from God. We're going to follow all of your instructions. We're going to follow God just like you promised. We're going to follow your leadership in following God. We promise. And, I, and Joshua says, he says, you won't do it. Yes, we will. You won't do it. That's what he told them. You know why he told them that? Because he knew human nature. Human nature is such that we make commitments in the heat of a decision And then we cool off a little bit and we back off of our commitments. They said, we won't back off. Joshua says, you will. And they did. Because you see, the book of Joshua ends right there in chapter 24. And right on the heels of the book of Joshua comes Judges. And you know what Judges is? It's the darkest book in the entire Bible. You've got 66 books, and the darkest one of all is Judges. You know why? Because right after Joshua gives them this charge, and they say, we're going to do it. And he says, you're not. And they say, yes, we are. And that chapter ends, and then the first chapter of Judges, sure enough, Israel goes dark. Just read Judges again. I know you've read it already, but read it again. And when you do, just know that you're reading the darkest period in the history of the nation of Israel. You know why? Because they failed to follow through on their commitment to the Lord. Don't let anything or anyone keep you from following through in your commitment to the Lord. Make sure it's a commitment to the Lord first off, and then don't let anything keep you from following through. My prayer is that you don't have a period of judges that you go through. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are God of peace, and joy and love and grace and mercy and all those words that we love, that we welcome. But we also know that you are a God of war. You don't like war, but you're still a God of war. You're a God of judgment. You're a God of justice. And as a God of war, you teach us lessons that we can only learn from warfare.
Lord, right now I pray for whoever might be in this room who has never received you as their Savior. My guess is, and I don't know for sure, that there is someone here who has never said, Lord, I want you to come into my heart to save me, to be my Lord. I accept you right now. My guess is there's someone in this room who's never done that. My further guess, Lord, is that there are people in this room who thought they had done that, but who down deep really haven't. And, and they're fooling everybody they know because everybody they know thinks that they're a Christian, and yet deep down they know that they're not. And that's a hard place to be in. Because Satan is on one ear saying, you're fine. You don't need to do anything. But God, help us not to listen to Satan. There are too many folks listening to Satan these days. I'd love it, Lord, if somebody got saved here today. It'd be good. And that's what I pray for in Jesus' name. Amen.